Hi, and welcome to The Badass Moms, where we moms learn to achieve fitness and health goals despite being sleep-deprived and overworked. Here's your host, Nicole, the super busy mommy coach. Hello, and welcome to Badass Moms, brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz, super busy mommy coach. Today on the show, we have Mary Alexandra, founder of Feminine Strong and Soul Expressions Beauty. Um, But before we get into that, I want to share with you a project I've been working on because I need help from about five of you. I've been creating my very first home workout regimen, and I took my best group transformation program, converted it into a program that you can do on your own at home. Uh, It's a much more flexible and affordable option for those of you who had asked me about that when when we had conversations, when we were texting, and uh, I figured I would deliver. And so that is scheduled to be done very soon. And I want five of the busiest moms in the toughest situation to test it out and give me feedback and let me know what needs to be improved before we launch it to the general public. I wanna work out all the kinks, I want it to be fantastic, but I really need help from some of you to do that. So those of you who are in the test group, you will get to try the program at a huge discount, and I'm going to be looking to use your case studies to share with the world and show them how fantastic this program is once it does launch. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, Shoot me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I'm at Super Busy Mommy Coach. Uh, just let me know that you're interested, that you heard it on the podcast, and I will have a conversation with you, give you all the details, and see if you're a good fit. Now let's get back to Mary Alexandra. Mary Alexandra is a seeker of understanding and growth who has spent her life in search of peace and unity within herself, others, and the planet. After years of longing to serve in the Peace Corps, Mary found herself instead serving in the Marine Corps. As such, a significant component of her personal journey has been managing the juxtaposition of masculine and feminine in her own life. Presently, she's a student of cosmetology at Paul Mitchell The School in Portland and working to build up the concept of soul expressions, which will integrate health, beauty, and life coaching services. Mary, welcome to the show. You are for sure, the most badass mom I know, and I'm very happy to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. You're too sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, just saying the truth. Yeah, so uh, I want everyone who's listening to understand how much of a badass you are. And so I'd really love for you to share your story, which I have loved hearing in the past of, you know, just sort of your journey of how you, you know, your adult life started off, maybe even going back further than that, if you'd like to share and, you know, how you ended up in the Marine Corps and then how you ended up where you are now. So interested in health and life coaching and serving others. Wow. So that's going to, that's a dynamic conversation. Um, (laughs) and it could last a really long time. So I'll try to give you the short version without, um, missing any important parts, I guess. (laughs) Um, So I think in order to really understand like the broader scope of who I am and the whole thing that has led me to the masculine feminine aspect of my being um, is my childhood because I really grew up um, for the most part being taken care of primarily I, well, I shouldn't say taking care of, but I guess I spent a lot more time with my dad and my grandmother. 
And my dad is somebody who basically, if you want to spend time with him, you have to do what he's doing. And he likes to do, he's extremely intelligent, um, but he's socially awkward. Um, so he was never like the hugging, like daddy, you know, like you think of when you think of a dad, he was more like my big brother that I always hung out with and like played football and learned how to like work on electronics and cars and building things. Um, and my, and also having fun. He was like the fun person in my life. Um, where we would goof off and break things and get in trouble by my mom, um, kind of like a little kid. And then my grandmother, <laughs> on the other hand, she was like the glue that held everything together. And she was very vain, for lack of a better word. She was like that typical, I guess what you would think of like 1940s girl who like just shouldn't have been in a small town where I grew up. She should have been <laughs> in a place like New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just always had her face on and always like was shopping and, you know, keeping the house nice and all of that sort of thing. So I had a really like, in a some sense, like a good balance between like the development of that within myself, the masculine side and the feminine side, feeling very confident to do anything that I ever want to do regardless of if, if, if it typically has some sort of gender differentiation within it. Um, but on the other hand, also really like enjoying beauty and fashion and things like this. And so that was always something that I had a hard time finding balance within myself in terms of the integration aspect. And I didn't really have the realization or awareness that I was having that problem for many years until I was an adult. But um, ultimately, my my upbringing was pretty low income, welfare, um, and at a young age, my father was um, imprisoned when I was a baby, and then again as a teenager. Um, and, or I shouldn't say in prison, but he went to prison. <laughs> it wasn't mm-hmm. like a good, it wasn't, <laughs> that sounds funny, <laughs> but, um, he went to prison because he did things he shouldn't have done. But, um, and, and so that had a big impact because he was really like, those were my two people, my grandma and my dad. And so when he wasn't there, um, in those last years of my teenage years, it, it was kind of like being lost. And my grandmother passed away when I was about 13, I believe, sometime in middle school. Mm. Um, so I really had kind of like right in those formative years, I'd really kind of lost my two people. And 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 because of what had happened with my father, he really wasn't in my life consistently from about the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, because he got in trouble about a year after my grandmother passed away and then he couldn't live with us anymore. And he was in and out of litigation for several years until he went to, um, into jail. And so, um, and then in that time I had a younger sister, uh, she's about nine, almost nine years younger than me. And she, I pretty much took care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, because. Well, for a number of reasons. For one thing, because my parents weren't really like parents. Um, and then for, and then once my dad was gone, it was just me and my mom. Mm-hmm. And my, my grandma was gone. So 
um, and to gain a, a little bit more perspective, my grandmother uh, lived literally like 10 steps away from us in the same mm. property in a different house. So she was a pretty um, big part of our life and, and, you know, making everything function. Mm. And after she passed, like I said, she was like the glue and things just kind of unraveled. Um, and after that, it was kind of, uh, by then I was graduating. My dad was, when my dad finally did go to jail. Um, and I ended up getting married at a young age, um, right out of high school, actually. And then moving away to the Midwest. I grew up in the West Coast and I moved away to the Midwest. And that relationship was abusive. Um, I ended up leaving. About I got pregnant with my daughter there, and I was there for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And when she was five months old, I left um, because, as is typical in an abusive relationship, during the pregnancy, things just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And then once she was born, it didn't slow down in terms of abuse towards me. Um, and I and I began to worry about her safety at that point. Um, and so I think that was probably, well, I would say like that, the, the, the particular experience that led to me leaving was, um, one of my more formative experiences in terms of fear, um, because it was a, a quick, snap thing that happened where, you know, something that had been going on for a long time verbally suddenly became physical. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that moment, I was always the type of person that I'm not intimidated by men. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always kind of was like, well, if he ever does anything, like I'll just punch him, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, it was something, like whatever. Um, and I realized very quickly that, you know, his physical strength, uh, that the level of strength that he had beyond what I had was not something that I could match if I wasn't prepared for it. And in that circumstance, I wasn't. Um, and so I could have very easily been very hurt. And so that was, that was when I left and um, took my daughter and went back home to the West Coast. And then um, moved back into the family property. Um, and my dad was back by then. I'm kind of just giving you the run through. And if you want to ask me like questions to go into more detail about things, you can after, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I got back to, um, back home and I started working minimum wage and taking care of my daughter and my ex and his entire family decided to move to my hometown <gasps> to follow me. And, um, so then I had to deal with that, which had its, its pros and cons because they did help out with her um, in terms of babysitting and things when I was working. And, you know, we, we made arrangements and things mellowed out a little bit. Um, but eventually, my dad having come back from prison, being a felon, um, and also extremely paranoid after the situation with him happened, um, he he was very paranoid that he was being set up all the time and um, he really couldn't function socially. Mm -hmm. And so he couldn't really 
get a legitimate job, or at least he felt like he couldn't. And so he started slinging pot on the side. And uh, one thing led to another. And I'm not going to claim to know the details, but what I do know is that there were weirdos coming to my property all the time and people trying to break into my house. And at one point, um, the, the place got, well, somebody was threatening to burn our house down. Um, and so my daughter was like one and a half at the time. And, uh, my sister was like 11 or something. And it was just her and me and my mom at home. Um, not my sister. She was gone. My daughter, me and my mom at home. And these threats were, you know, people were calling on the cell phone and driving by and throwing things. And um, what I ended up ultimately feeling like I didn't really have a choice but to do was to protect them and the property. And um, my dad had left. And so I grabbed a couple. Um, handheld firearms. I don't even remember what type and a couple tasers, things we just had laying around the house, (laughs) like normal people (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and showed my mom how to use the taser and locked her in the basement of their house with my daughter. And I just went outside and I stood, sat there waiting for these people to show up so I could put two in the tea box. And, Nobody did, thank God. But mm-hmm. that was the end of it for me. I was like, I won't, I'm not being a part of this. Mm-hmm. I'm done with this. Like, I'm gone. <laughs> and so um, I don't remember what month it was when that happened. I think it would have been like fall of 20, 20, 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, I was trying to come up with a a way to get away from there. I knew I couldn't do that with my like pretty much minimum wage job that I could barely survive off of, even though I wasn't even paying rent. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started looking at other options and the military was something I had looked into as a teenager. It was what I had planned on doing outside of high school um, because you needed military experience for a degree to get into the Peace Corps. So it was like a stepping stone for me. That was my original plan before I met my daughter's father. Um, and so that was what I, I looked back at again to as a way out, to get out of there. And for other reasons, I also, also 9-11 happened um, when I first moved away after I graduated. And so that I was already planning on going in the military and that you know, enlivened that in me more. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were multiple things going on. So I went in and, and I ended up joining the Marines and I wanted something that would be challenging for me. I was always physically strong. I, I got my dad's genes and he's, he was always just a beast. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, that was my strength. That was my comfort zone. So I wanted to go somewhere that I would feel challenged physically. Um, and that I would feel prepared if I needed to go to war. And so that's what I did. Um, I spent nine years in the Marines and 
eventually I decided um, it wasn't aligned with me anymore as my values changed as I grew up a little bit. And um, once I was starting to reach close to my 30s, I started to kind of question things a little bit and look at the world a little bit differently. And I was really miserable. I, I mean, as one can imagine, I had different experiences in the Marines, including sexual assault, sexual harassment, and verbal assault in general. Um, and I was kind of over it at that point by like, by like <laughs> seven years, I was like, I don't know about all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had signed a, a second contract. And so I was kind of waiting for that to, to finish. And, um, then they, they did this, um, early release program. And so I jumped on the early release program and I was able to get out a little bit early. So that's why I got out at nine years. It would have been 10 otherwise. Um, and so, yeah, I got out, I, I applied to college, um, in my last couple of three years in the Marines, I met my husband, my current husband, wasn't my husband then, but, Mm -hmm. um, we did long distance for like three years and then he was finishing, uh, his residency for family practice medicine while I was getting ready to transition out of the military. And so where we converged was in New York City. That was where he wanted to go. And I decided, you know, there's great colleges out there. That's cool. I can go out there. So I applied to Columbia. um, And I was accepted into Columbia. And I did a year of college there. And that was kind of like the beginning of my transition back into civilian life, which was what really threw me into the self-discovery mode because I realized really quickly that I did not know how to function in civil in the civilian world um, like a normal person. And that I felt really conflicted about my identity and um, and and really what I wanted to do with my life. I was excited to have freedom. That was like my goal while I was getting out of the military. I just wanted freedom. Like that was it. I'm done. I want to be free. I want to do what I want to do and wear what I want to wear, talk how I want to talk and Mm -hmm. see who I am. And, um, but then once I got that, I was like, okay, but what am I going to do with this (laughs) freedom that I've been given, you know? And so I had to go on this whole journey. So I actually, um, I, I stopped going to school after about a year and I started traveling. And by this time, my daughter, um, was about 11 or 12 and Andreas and I and her traveled for about a year and a half. And I went, well, we, we all went to many seminars. Some of them I went to on my own, but we did a lot of like personal development stuff with Tony Robbins and Um, I did just about every Tony Robbins seminar there is. (laughs) And then we did, um, neuro-linguistic programming training and life coaching training and personality testing training and, um, what else? Hypnosis practitioner training and just all these things that are really just growth. Um, I did health coach with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. 
just a bunch of things I was trying to kind of get my feet into my hands into and get a taste for when I was still in the Marines I did my first yoga certification um on the weekends for like a year mm-hmm. <laughs> I did my 200 hour and then um after during that time when we were doing our traveling I went and did a, a 500 hour program in Nepal for like it was a two-month program but I spent a, about a month and a half I didn't finish the program um and and then we ended up settling in Hawaii and I was in and out of college over, you know, several years. And, um, and then we ended up, I moved out here to Portland. I started graduate studies in Chinese medicine. That was after we started the well care summit and, mm-hmm. um, how you and I met Nicole was, you know, through the London real business accelerator. And so that was something that we had done in this time as well. And then we met Anthony He's one of our friends and colleagues, mm-hmm. and he's an um, amazing Chinese medicine practitioner, and he just really inspired me. Um, mainly, I just wanted to understand it. I wasn't ever really like uh, knowing what I was going to do with it. I just wanted to finish <laughs> my degree, and I wanted to understand Chinese medicine. So I was like, okay, that sounds like something fun to do for now, you know? Um, so I moved out here to Portland and um, started that, and then... Andreas and I had our wedding and um, I finished up my second quarter there. I wanted to drop down to part-time. They, that wasn't in the cards. They went, they were going through some transitions. I ended up taking a leave of absence and then I decided to go to hair school. Um, So that's what I'm doing right now. And all of this ties into feminine strong really, because that was really my journey of self-growth and self-discovery, and um, it culminated in this, like, deep yearning to understand my masculine and feminine aspects, and and an awareness of, like, I really don't know who I am, and I really don't know what it is that I want to do with my life, and in order for me to figure that out, I need to know who I am. I need to be able to function in society. And one of my big problems was that I just, I didn't really know how to not, I don't know how to really explain this, but I really had an issue with like befriending women, Mm -hmm. not because I couldn't, like I had women friends, Mm -hmm. but it was like my approach was so abrasive. The way that I speak, like the way that I interact, that most women aren't into all that. <laughs> like guys don't care. You know, like they're not phased. But women do and you have to be more gentle with women a lot a lot of the time, not everybody, you know, that's a generalization. But mm-hmm. um but I was used to being in that environment where it's like, you know, you you like say what's on your mind. You say what you have to say. It's no bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I had to like tap back into that nurturing part of myself and be like, okay, like you can be gentle. Like you can be considerate of other people's feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was like this whole finding balance because I'd gone totally over to the masculine side during my time in the core. And so those whole five years, you know, since I've been out, it's really just been like cultivating the balance between the masculine and feminine and feeling like 
not only can I look feminine, but I can behave feminine. (laughs) And I can also like relate to women and be friends with women and not feel like weird or awkward um, or like I don't fit in. That was always a problem for me all my life. I just felt like, I just didn't feel like I fit in with a lot of girls. Um, So yeah, that's kind of the long and the short of it. Like the just quick run through of my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, like, I could probably write like a very long book to get into all the details. (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay. I mean, I want to go and just start like digging into certain parts of your story a little bit. Uh, You talked a lot about what happened and a little bit about your transformation, but I'd really love to hear in your words, from your perspective, how you have changed as a person, you know, who was that person that we heard as a child at the beginning of the story? Who was that young adult who was in the abusive relationship? And, you know, especially in that moment when you realized you couldn't overtake your ex-husband when he attacked you. And then who did you become through all of those experiences in the Marines and balancing this out? I'd like to hear how you've changed over the years. Well, I think the thing that comes up for me um, right away as you kind of described the question is that in each of those phases that you described, I experienced a defeat. You know, it was, it was kind of came to a head with some sort of defeat that I had to overcome that, that was like a humbling or a realization that, you know, maybe I'm not on top of the world. <laughs> I'm kind <laughs> of like a person that I always, I always felt like I'm like invincible and nothing can ever happen to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think like as a child, I was generally a very like follow the rules, helper type, um, obedient, trying to do everything the right way mm-hmm. and, um, and very kind really. And I, I felt a lot of the time as a kid, like I was not, I did not fit in. A lot of the other kids didn't like me. Um, I never, yeah, I guess I just maybe the main characterization when I think about it is that like, I just didn't really fit in. I never felt a part of a community of my peers. And so I think I spent a lot of time with adults. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. I spent a lot of time with my um, other grandparents as well and my dad. And then when I did fit in or feel like I fit in, it was like with the guys on the block and we'd go like play cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians and ride bikes and play football. And that was like my comfort zone. And that became where I was, where I fit and I felt accepted and I felt good. Um, And, and then as once I got to, be into my teenage years, I was just angry. I was the full on asshole teenage rebel. (laughs) Um, and my parents weren't there. They were like children, you know, they weren't giving me any discipline. I pretty much was doing whatever I wanted for the most part. And so, um, and I think, you know, somewhere in my psyche, I was 
probably pissed off about that. Like there was something deep unconsciously within me that was like, what the fuck? Where are my parents? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and I was taking care of my sister all the time, which at one point I really started to resent um, because it became like a chore. It wasn't something that I was doing because I wanted to be doing or even because it was really necessary, but it was just that my parents didn't want to have to deal with her. So she became my child, more or less, my problem, mm. more or less. And uh, which sounds like a harsh way of saying it, but that's how it was because they didn't discipline her. So she's like right away as a, as a young child, you know, she had emotional outbursts. She was not easy to take care of and they didn't want to deal with it. So it got put on to me. And so I was really pissed off. I had an anger problem and I took it out on the weights. I took it out in the weight room mm. and I got sick and fun of at school and picked on all the time. So I figured, you know what? Like I'm not a violent person, but maybe if like I start like lifting weights and I build this persona, people will stop fucking with me. You know? Mm. And it worked. <laughs> so, you know, that mm-hmm. was my thing. And that's kind of how I thrived through up until like my mid twenties was just by not like being super guarded per se. Cause I've always been very social. Um, you know, I love people and I thrive in a social environment, but like, don't mess with me because it can, it can flip, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and So, yeah, I think that would be like anger. And then, and at that point I was like invincible. I didn't think that like anything could defeat me. I'd never been like seriously injured in my life. I'd never been sick, seriously Mm -hmm. sick in my life. Um, You know, I overcome a lot of things in my life already. And my main priority when I was getting out of high school and turning 18 was to get the hell out of Dodge. I did not Mm -hmm. care how. I just did not want to be there anymore. And um, so that was it. And when I actually met my ex-husband, the reason that we got married the way that we did and the reason that there was a sense of urgency and that I felt as strongly as I did with as much anger as I did was in part because I had gotten pregnant toward the end of my senior year in high school. Mm. and. I ended up having a miscarriage, but before that happened, we made the decision that, okay, the right thing to do is to get married, even though we barely knew each other. And I was stupid and that wasn't (laughs) what I wanted. I was already signed up to go into the Navy. Like I wanted to do that. That was my plan. And my mom, when she found out, like went on this total religious thing, which we weren't religious. Like we didn't go to church, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I did kid like with my grandparents, but like my parents didn't go to church. And so when she found out about that, she started in on this whole thing about how I was going to hell and all of this. And I was just like over it. Like that was Mm -hmm. the straw that broke the camel's back after everything else that had gone on in my life. Mm -hmm. It's like, give me the, out of here yeah um and so so I ended up having a miscarriage and I was like okay 
you know, maybe we shouldn't do this wedding thing. You know, we could probably hold off a few months anyway. (laughs) And uh, my ex, and this should have been a red flag for me, but it was, but I was more focused on other things than the red flag. Um, He threw a huge fit and was like insistent that we go through with the marriage at the time we had originally planned and this and that, regardless of what had happened. And, and so I did because I was stupid. (laughs) I was young. You know, I didn't, I didn't have the self-esteem and the confidence and even just the, the basic knowledge and wisdom to, um, to know that that was wrong, that that is controlling and abusive. I knew in myself it didn't feel right, mm-hmm. but I didn't know intellectually like that is a sign of something discernible, of a behavior pattern that's discernible, mm-hmm. which of course I know now. And so, um, so anyway, th- so that's what it was. I was pissed off. I was in a rebellious stage. I just wanted to get away from my family, my parents, whatever, and uh, do my own thing, live my own life. And when I think like my first defeat, the defeat aspect was the day that my ex almost put my head through a wall. Um, because it was something that happened very fast and it wasn't expected. Like I didn't, ex- we hadn't had like a physical altercation in mm-hmm. our marriage. It had been like name calling and controlling and stuff like that. Um, and even though it had progressively gotten more severe with time, it hadn't reached the point of physical yet until that moment. And it just made me, I always, you know, was kind of like thinking that I'm a badass and I'm just going to like, you know, whatever, deal with it if something happens. And it really humbled me and made me realize like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And you're going to die if you <laughs> keep that attitude. So it, it made me have to get smarter. And, um, and so, which was good, you know, that was a great lesson and, and moved me forward. And so I left. And when I went in the Marines, I kind of had, you know, regained my self-confidence and recovered from that experience, um, at least to the extent that I felt strong again. I hadn't recovered in terms of like emotionally, I was still pissed. But um, in fact, that probably fueled a lot of the reason why I was able to get through some of the experiences in that environment. But um, in terms of my strength, it made me feel confident there again. And I think a couple of things happened in my time in the Marine Corps that kind of had that same humbling effect um, where I had to question myself and question my abilities. And so after I got out of the Marines, I felt like really defeated um, in some ways. I felt good that I left and, and like free and everything. But it wasn't 
without like some aspect of feeling defeated and feeling like a failure. Cause I planned on staying in and retiring and I had all these plans and had thought through all these things and I would have been miserable had I done that. So I'm not upset that I didn't do those things, but I still felt like I didn't stick to what my plan was. I didn't mm -hmm. stick with my original goal and see it through. And of course, you know, anything that I may have fallen short on, it always would come back to me. And I'm thinking about that all the time. And, um, but the reality is, you know, I was in the top percentage of my peers. I was promoted like lickety split. Um, and I was really doing very well. But when you're in an, an environment with oppressive, ab abusive people that want you to think that you're less than them, they have ways of instilling that into you. And so, um, you know, a big part of that um, post-Marine Corps experience for me has been getting myself into a state mentally and emotionally where I don't fall for that shit anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't put myself in situations with those types of people anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean... I had an experience where one of my peers, we were sergeants at the time, both of us, um, got pissed off because I turned off a computer that he was logged into that I needed to use to do my job. And he left. And when he came back, you know, he uh, says in front of all the juniors that we're supposed to be leading, um, something along the lines of, you dumb bitch. If you ever fucking do that again, I'm going to knock you the fuck out. Wow. That would not happen to a man. I mean, if that were to happen to a man in the Marines, I'd be very, like, sure, maybe it, it, it's not unheard of that it could have ever happened, but it'd be unlikely and they'd probably be brawling. Mm -hmm. Like, that would be the expectation of where that was going. Um. And, you know, so those sorts of things, um, you know, sexual assault and sexual harassment, that's just kind of like a part of the job. And I think what bothered me or when I kind of flipped, one of the things that was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in this environment anymore was actually after they did a um we do these annual trainings all the time and this is kind of how they try to promote social growth and things like this like cultural changes and of course suicide prevention and sexual assault and these sorts of things are topics that have been and i'm sure they still are um pretty prominent in those discussions and those trainings and we came back from one of these sexual assault trainings where they were talking about how like it's not okay to go to the bar and get a girl drunk and then take her home when she's like passed out you know like they're explaining <laughs> the, the basics yeah and, uh, <laughs> and you know everything was good like I was like yeah the Marine Corps is doing something like constructive to change this culture of this rape culture thing that's going on and um and then we go back into the shop and there's all these young, impressionable men in there, 18, 19, 20 years old. And um, the senior, two ranks above me, my senior was sitting there 
And he's saying, oh, well, you know, I think it's bullshit. And, you know, we've been doing this stuff forever and blah, blah, blah. And the guys are all circled around him, these young men. And I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. Like the change is not going to happen fast enough with people like this who are here. And a lot of people like that are there. So mm-hmm. that was when I was like, no, I'm done. Um, so yeah, you know, it is what it is. So that was that. And then the rest of the time it's been just rebuilding and looking up. So how would you describe the woman you are today? Um, I think that I would say like integrated. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm, I've, I pretty well achieved. I don't feel like I still need to seek that integration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think steadfast um, and determined. And I'm really focusing on um, authenticity and integrity and those things just go hand in hand Mm -hmm. a lot of people think of integrity as honesty or like doing the right thing when nobody's looking and it is but an aspect of integrity is being who you really are being true to yourself and that's you know why do people tell lies because they're not being true to themselves they don't want to come out with something about themselves that they feel self-conscious about or shameful of, or like they don't, whatever, they're just not being true to themselves and honest about who they are and their experiences. And so I think at this point in my life, I'm kind of like at a level where I'm about 95%, like no shame. Like I don't have anything to hide. I'm not. Um, trying to be somebody I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and I know that what I'm not is who I was, who I had formed into being during my time in the Marine Corps, being this like really aggressive, angry, abrasive. You know, I just kind of took all that pent up stuff from my teenage years and used it to push myself through all those situations. And but it wasn't true to who I really was. It, mm-hmm. it was useful for a time. Mm-hmm. but then it loses its usefulness after a while. You have to go through that next level of evolution. And so, so yeah, I think integrated. I feel like um, I can get down to business when I need to, but I can also nurture. And I think one of the, one of the biggest things to kind of put it into perspective that I have found in terms of a metaphor that people might be able to understand what I'm trying to say is to think about the difference between femininity and feminism which was what we were talking about at the last well care summit mm-hmm. and, and for those listeners who haven't heard about what the well care summit is it's um it's the radiant well care summit and um mary is one of the founding members along with a few other people those of you who listen to the podcast optimizing human potential i do with john kempf he's a part of it as well um, but it's a it's an annual event where holistic practitioners from around the world come together to learn and share with each other. I'm sorry to interrupt Mary, get back into no, it. It's okay, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Do a plug. I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so 
that was one of the things that I was excited to talk about there because I, I realized like that metaphor is pretty strong over these mm-hmm. past years, especially with the conversation being um, so highlighted in society right now um, mm-hmm. around femininity and women's rights and, you know, and all this stuff again is being enlivened and talked about a lot. But I think that like we've gotten to this point where we are becoming like, we're becoming victims of this thing instead of it being something that's empowering us mm-hmm. when we talk about feminism and a, a lot of the time. Um, it's, it's almost lost its balance. And so, you know, the tables have kind of turned a little bit. And I see this in a lot of areas in how society's moving with this kind of tribalistic thing that we're doing since we, since we no longer are separated by borders in the way we were even 30 years ago mm-hmm. with the internet. And so, you know, we we're forming these groups and communities of people that are, you know, come together instead of by like ge- geography, we're coming together by like mindedness. Mm-hmm. But I'm noticing that also what's happening is that we're building tribes based on like trauma mm-hmm. and the like trauma that is the female experience um, in these certain scenarios has become disempowering. Like we don't want to be coming together crying over everything that's happened to us. We want to be coming together saying, okay, that happened. Now, how do we solve the problem? That's it. Mm -hmm. It's not somebody's fault. It's not about placing blame. You know, it's like what happened and how do we solve it? That's it. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, And I think, um, you know, because we're all, I think everybody's guilty of doing this when they've been traumatized, like you do feel victimized, but you've got to be able to like feel that experience it and let it go. And if I actually can characterize what I have, like my growth in the past five years, I guess that's really what it is, is that I've been able to experience and, and kind of take in the traumas and the things that I felt a victim to and forgive and let it go. You know, I don't have to be pissed off at veterans or pissed off at the Marine Corps, pissed off at my ex-husband or whatever. Like, I'm over it. Like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know my part in it. I see their part in it. And I know what I need to do differently. And the problem with being a victim is that when you're always looking at the other person's part in something and you're not looking at your own part, then you just recreate patterns over and over and over again. You relive these same patterns. We do it in our relationships. That's mm-hmm. why. Women who are in abusive relationships have a tendency to go back into abusive relationships. You know, we do it in our jobs. We do it in every area of our life. You have to look at yourself with a fine tooth comb or with a microscope or whatever, <laughs> magnifying glass, to see what your own faults are and what you did to create this problem in order to stop doing that thing so you're not recreating it. And as long as we point our finger and say, oh, you know, the patriarchy, oh, the this, oh, the that, oh, the wages, oh, the blah, 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 whatever. We're just going to put ourselves back in that situation again. Look at yourself. Mm-hmm. What can you do to get those competitive wages? What, what does that guy have that you don't have? Like, let's be real about this. And it's not that it's not fair, but you can choose one or the other place to live, an empowered space or a disempowered space, period. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a victim space, it is disempowered, period. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, that's the thing. You have to, you've, you've got to find a way to get through that victim mentality and, and let it go, forgive. And, you know, a, a big part of what I learned and what really drove the point home about, you know, what is femininity? And what's the difference between feminism and femininity? Well, for one thing, I'm sick and tired of living in a society where femininity isn't valued mm-hmm. and where beautiful women, nurturing, loving, intelligent, strong leaders feel like they have to become like a man and, and therefore let go of any self-value and self-worth of their natural nurturing and natural beauty and you know all the things that make women women in a general sense um in order to be more like a guy in order to be accepted into society or to to go up the ranks of leadership or whatever the case might be that's not to discard or or discredit the you know conversation about gender and gender fluidity and all of that that's a different conversation there are people who that's their comfort zone that's Mm -hmm. different but there's a lot of women who are feminine and have unjustly um conformed to this norm of society of being masculine in order to get to wherever they need to go or to cope with their traumas and because of it they feel miserable. They don't know who they are. It doesn't matter how much success they get. They're miserable. And I've seen it. I thought I was the only one mm-hmm. when I got out of the military and I started going to all this self-help crap. And I started meeting all these women in the corporate world and doing all these different things in leadership. And I was like, oh, damn, they have the literal same story I do in a different, in a different context. Mm-hmm. So I realized like it's a problem mm-hmm. and it's, it's impacting women's emotional health and it's impacting women's ability to move forward, you know, as a group also, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that's what, that's what got me there. And that's what my journey has been about. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the distinction you made the, you know, between, um, you know, when you talked about, being in an empowering space or being in a victim space is so important because it is so different from victim blaming. It's really not the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. just you are in this situation. Something has happened. You're here already. We can't change that. This isn't about changing the situation for people in the future or yourself in the future. You are here now and you can either choose to figure out what you can do about it or you can choose not to. And that's it. You know, like that's the harsh reality of the truth. And even what you said about not blaming other people. I mean, I like to say it's not men who are oppressing women. Society is oppressing women and also oppressing men to a lesser degree, society is placing men in a place of privilege over women. But really, anytime you're taking individuals and 
pressuring them or in some cases forcing them to conform to an ideal that may not be them, you're oppressing them. And so, yes, society privileges men over women, but one of the best transitions I've seen is I, it really happened after the recession. At least that's when I saw it. All of a sudden, men started embracing their nurturing side. So many men were out of work, um, especially in male-dominated fields. Those industries crashed. And you had women becoming breadwinners in a lot of households where it wasn't necessarily planned or expected. And men really embracing the fact that all of a sudden, maybe not all of a sudden, but I, I, I saw it a lot more. The conversations changed. Even the media, the commercials on TV and the internet changed. Men wearing baby, you know, baby wearing and wearing carriers and pushing strollers and taking kids to school. And, you know, before that, men who, you know, we are all human and have this desire uh, in some sense or another to nurture, to connect with other people. And men... Mm -hmm felt in a lot of cases, again, we're overgeneralizing here, they had to oppress that within themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, blaming and attacking doesn't really make sense. It's, you know, addressing directly, like you said, it's figuring out here's the situation we're in and now what do we do about it? And, you know, it's just, the more you point fingers, the more you push away people who in some cases would be happy to be your partners in this change. Right. And, you know, look, it's not about like, you know, you brought up the victim blaming thing. And I think that it's an important thing to address because it's like a fine line mm -hmm. and it's not about failing to acknowledge what happened and who's responsible. It's about acknowledging that and not letting it happen again. Mm -hmm. And in order to not let it happen again, you have to see what you did to attract that person into your life or those people into your life or put yourself in that situation. Mm -hmm. And so it's not to say that like, oh, something happened and you're a victim of it and this person shouldn't be held responsible. Not at all. They should be. But the reality is, is most of the time, it's not the law that's going to hold them responsible. It's not society that's going to hold them responsible. You are the only one who can do that by cutting your your you know, ties with that person or whatever, taking action to establish your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of the problem is that the average person in general, so the average woman especially, hasn't even thought about their boundaries, probably don't even know what that means for a lot of folks out there, you know, who aren't already, in, you know, have already encircled themselves in this whole self-development realm and or done, you know, a lot of work on themselves with a psychologist or something where they've had these conversations. So, you know, I think one of the things that we really have to start talking about in this conversation, um, this broader conversation about women, women's topics and stuff and feminism and femininity is like, how are we teaching our children to behave? Mm -hmm. And we need to be better Obviously, we're not going to fix all these problems in our generation. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be able to make this snap a magic snap of our finger and all of a sudden, you know, everything is equal and everything is good and people don't hurt each other. That's unrealistic. There's going to be a next, the, the next thing is going to happen in society that we start highlighting and noticing that it's wrong. 
So, you know, how do we really create some sort of change and prevent um, people from being victimized in general? We teach our kids to have boundaries. We teach our kids what a bound, what it is to have a boundary, what it feels like when your boundary is being crossed. What are the red flags? You know, what should you be looking for? And we teach our kids to accept their own feelings, their own gut judgments, and their own authentic selves. We as parents, we have to stop like putting what we want onto our kids, what we think should they should be onto our kids and mm-hmm. oh you shouldn't cry and you shouldn't do this and you need to do that and this and that we need to start helping them nurture themselves and who they are so that they know what feels right and wrong to them um, in an authentic way because that's what will prov- that's what will allow them to know themselves on such a deep level that they'll have boundaries and that they'll be able to you know keep themselves safe in those in those ways and social settings and things like this. It's not just about making it. It's not just about like, oh, you don't want to get murdered by, you know, the crazy serial killer. Mm-hmm. No, it, it, it's so much deeper than that. Or, or I should say more subtle than that. The reality of the hurt and the pain in the world comes from a space that's more subtle than that. Mm-hmm. It's not caused by some psychopath. Mm-hmm. Our hurts and our pains in life are mostly caused by well-intentioned people who don't have good emotional skills, Mm -hmm. who don't have good social skills, who don't have good communication skills, or who don't know how to handle their um, emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. And so we gain emotional regulation by becoming aware of our own boundaries because we don't put ourselves in situations that piss us off. (laughs) You know, <laughs> like, yeah. and then this creates a, a, you know, domino effect where the more of us who are doing that and the more that we're instilling this into our kids, the less we're going to be hurting each other all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's a great way of explaining it. Um, I, hearing your story, I think it's just so important to highlight that you know, while you were going through all of these hardships and traumas, you were raising your daughter. And I think there's a stereotype that there's no possible way your daughter could have, you know, you could have been a good mother in those situations or your daughter could have turned out okay or whatever. And I've seen you with your daughter and you have one of the most beautiful relationships I could imagine. And I hope that when my son is as grown as your daughter is, that we have a relationship like that and that he is as wise and insightful a young adult as she is. Um, and so I'd really love to, for you to talk about, you know, how you took everything that happened to you and you managed to still be in a headspace where you could raise such a beautiful human and develop such a wonderful relationship with her? Well, okay. So for starters, um, for whatever reason, I think from a young age, I had a strong spiritual inclination, not religious per se, but just spiritual. I always felt very deeply that there was something um, 
very real in the world that's good. I can say that, you know, without getting into anything too much detail. Um, and, and so I always have been a spiritual seeker and I've tried, you know, like I, like you read in my bio, peace and unity have really been like an underlying theme that have been in my consciousness for as long as I can remember. And so I was always, um, I was always gravitating toward people like Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and, you know, these prominent figures who are spiritual social leaders um, who are bringing this message of love and peace into the world. And so really, and I have very strong away values as you, as you might've gathered from what I've said so far, meaning that I really didn't want to be anything like my family. You know, I wasn't, a lot of times, you know, people take on the habits and the behaviors and this and that of their family members. And I think like there's a certain amount of that that we can't escape and you have to work through it. But I didn't take on the habits of my family and I really didn't want to um, be like them. So I was able to kind of break away from like those generational patterns and all of the craziness and the chaos and the instability and, and all of that. And so putting those two things together, you know, creating a stable environment and having that strong, like um, deep integral feeling of like, there needs to be peace. There needs to be unity. There needs to be positive things happening in my life with my daughter in the world. That's a, a part of who I am and why I'm here. Those have been major factors. And really, when Marissa was very young, about maybe one, she was probably about one years old, um, I read a book called The Mastery of Love by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's a short little like book you could read in the bathroom or something, you know, or while you're mm -hmm. taking a bath. And um, it just touched me really deeply. And I, that was when I, I would have been about 21 at that time. And I didn't have a, a strong, I can't say that at that point in my life, I felt a strong spiritual thing going on. There were a few years where I just was like out of on Timbuktu. Um, but that kind of brought me back into balance a little bit or started that in terms of my spiritual life. And it's just like this basic book that just describes in such a really simple way how we hurt each other, mm -hmm. like in our interactions and, you know, like what it, what it is to really love, what that really looks like. And one of the metaphors in that book touched me really deeply because it, it was talking about how we train each, we train love out of one another. And that parents, as parents, we train love out of our children when we like discipline them for doing things that are natural for children to do, like playing and stuff. And so the metaphor it gave us like, okay, there's this woman and she's with her, her child and the child's laughing and playing and running around. And is running away, they're playing chase, and the child's like running away toward the road. And then the mom realizes that there's a car coming, and the kid's laughing and playing, running toward the road, and the mom's starting to freak out 
and telling the kid to stop. And the kid's laughing and playing and keeping running. And so when she gets to him or her, she picks the child up and spanks the child and tells them no. Well, the kid doesn't understand what's going on. Like, how confusing is that? They were literally, in that moment, the embodiment of love. Mm -hmm. They were the most innocent aspect of human being that is possible in that moment. And then they get physically punished for it. Mm -hmm. And I never... I never like had spanked my daughter at that time. And I, it wasn't something that I put a lot of thought into, I don't think, or maybe I had, I don't know, but I never really thought that that was going to be like a part of my discipline mm-hmm. was a disciplinary style. But once I read that, I was like, Oh my gosh, it just struck home probably because of my own childhood because I have very strong vivid memories as a young child of being whipped with belts and things. Mm. So Um, you know, probably that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, so that has always been like in the back of my mind all the time that since I've been taking care of Marissa, um, trying to be honest with her, um, trying to not be, um, imposing what I want for her onto her, but giving her the opportunities to do the things that she wants to do. Um, And I don't know, just like having a a relationship where we can talk about things. Like, I don't think I've, even though I know she sees me as an authority, I don't, for the most part, conduct myself as an authoritarian. It's not like she's like, oh, you know, things are, it's going to be crazy if I'm not, you know, wherever I need to be at whatever time. And, oh my gosh, I'm going to be grounded for a month. No, Mm -hmm. you know, but she knows she needs to be on time. I don't know. I don't know what I did. (laughs) That's what was in my mind. Um, I just try to keep it real with her and, you know, just be honest and um, do what I felt was right. And I always felt like, even in the hardest times, there was a period of time where I didn't have her for two years Mm. um, when she was a toddler. And, and then, you know, the periods of time where her dad and I were working out our divorce and the custody and all that, um, it was not easy because of course she's confused and there's things I can't tell her and, you know, certain things I don't want to say to her about what's going on. Um, But I've just tried to always have faith that the truth will come out and I've tried really hard to like not bash him in front of her and stuff like that which I have to admit has been harder in the the last years because of the way things have progressed that I just needed to be upfront with her about what the truth was Mm -hmm. and then that that may not be a nice truth but I've never just like I've tried really hard to never just like be like Oh, you know, so and so is such an asshole. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, don't say things like that in front of her, even if I'm thinking them. You know, um, you know, and just be really, really, really conscious about that. And I've just had faith that she's going to grow up and she's going to see for herself what what's reality and what the truth is, and you know, that she once she's old enough to understand 
that she will have the mental capacity to make decisions for herself and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of self-help stuff too. We go to like, I take her to Tony Robbins and um, she does camps and things. And so that's been really helpful too, especially during the years. Um, a couple of years ago, we cut off her visitation with her dad. Um, she was she was spending every other year for a few years, one year with him, one year with us, um, for maybe three years like that. And while she was in middle school and we finally just cut it off because it was, it just wasn't healthy. And that was really hard for her. And we went through a really rough patch for about a year or maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but we took her to Tony Robbins seminars and youth leadership seminars and different things like that. And we have her like read a book every month and do a report for us on it. Um, and we put her in the business. She went through the business accelerator and, you know, she comes to the summit with us. And so we try to like keep her actively involved. Um, another thing that we do that I think is pretty impactful actually, um, when we do any meals, we do like a certain number of meals together. We have like a kind of like, we're going to do at least, I think generally we do like at least three dinners together, but throughout the week, we usually have more meals than that in total together. Um, and we always do the three things that we're grateful for at every meal. And we do, um, also now we start doing this thing called the thorn in the rose. So it's like you say, like, what was the thing that sucked bad today? And what was the thing that was like really good that came out of it? Or something good that came out of the day, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that. And, and then we also have her, we have like dates, all of us as a family. So we have like family date night once a week. And then she has one-on-one time with Andreas and she has one-on-one time with me. And then Andres and I have our date, you know, that we do once a week. And so we kind of have like these systems in place, especially I think in these teenage years, it's really important um, because now she has a job and she's driving and she's in softball and she's like gone all the time pretty much. But we're like, nope, you're coming back uh, for dinner or, you know, for our, whatever we're doing. So, yeah, those are kind of the things that we do. That I don't know, I don't have a magic answer, but it seems to be working well. (laughs) Yeah. No, she's amazing. And she was an easy kid too. She was not like a hard child by any sense of the imagination. And maybe because I took care of my sister as a kid and she was very hard. Mm -hmm. Um it prepared me for, you know, dealing with motherhood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the last thing I'd really love to ask you, um, I, you know, I've, I know both you and Andreas and I've seen the beautiful relationship you've built together. Uh, and it's like you said, a lot of people who are in an abusive relationship go right back into an abusive relationship and you manage to find the exact opposite. You have the marriage that a lot of people think of in their dreams. You had the storybook wedding even to go along with it, which was beautiful. So how have you and Andreas gone about 
building that relationship, how did you know that he was the right person for you to do that with? Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, when I met Andres, I just knew he was the one mm-hmm. that was just it. I don't know. You know, like I dated a lot of people, I'm not gonna lie. Um, mm-hmm. but I just knew that something was different. Um, but it wasn't like it was just peaches and cream either. Like we've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. We've grown together and we've worked through a lot of our issues. And I think that what you often see with a lot of couples is that like, there's a reason that you're attracted to another person and it's going to be, it's going to be two things. One thing is because there's going to be a likeness between the two of you. You're going to have a lot of the same issues. So like, even when you're in an abusive relationship, it is important to look at yourself and be like, okay, like what ways am I abusive too? Because most people who are in abusive relationships have something that is abusive about their personality too. And even if it's like passive aggressiveness because they lack confidence, that's also, that can also become very abusive. Um, So I think that those things are important. And so when, when you're, when you're, in relationships, I think the beauty of it is that it's going to confront those things for you. It's going to force you to look at them and to evaluate yourself. And if you fail to evaluate yourself, you're probably going to get divorced. And so, mm-hmm. um, and it's also going to bring out like the hardest things. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like the hardest things for you to deal with or the hardest like character flaws that you need to work on. Mm-hmm. And before we got married, Andres and I were together for like nine years. And um, we, had a, we had a lot of time to work on things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we worked on those things together. He and I both come from a lot of trauma and, you know, a less than ideal background with, you know, kind of a bro- broken homes where the, there wasn't always two people in the home, two parents in the home um, and things like that. So, you know, we both had our fair share of trauma to deal with and still do. Like it's, it's a lifelong journey. Um, and we both had a lot of um, behaviors that we had to work through, disempowering behaviors. We hurt each other. Um, in different ways and we worked through it. So what people see now <laughs> is the fruits of a lot of years of understanding and compassion and anger and mm-hmm. you know not always things being pretty. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it like I I honestly don't I don't think that I would probably have grown as much as I have in the 10 years we've been together in probably 50 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) had we not been together Mm -hmm. because of how, how like intense we both are Mm -hmm. and, and how committed we both are to growth. Mm -hmm. And that was really what it was for me when I, you know, after my ex and stuff and, you know, trying to navigate, like, how do I not end up in an abusive relationship again? The biggest thing that I looked for and that appealed to me, I think, 
in terms of like looking at the long run with Andres was like, he's as committed as I am, maybe even more to personal growth. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's exactly like the same flavor. There's, we agree on a lot of things and we like a lot of the same things, but we also have areas that we differ on too. And that's okay. But the most important thing to me was that we're not going to be stagnant. And if an issue comes up, we're going to work through it. It's not going to be an attitude of like, okay, just deal with it. Like this is, this is what I was going to be and just deal with it, which is, which is the attitude that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's what, that's what destroys relationships. So that was it. And, and to be totally honest with you, a funny thing happened. I had been in a relationship with a guy right before I met Andres um, for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And um, so it was a pretty long-term, serious relationship at that point. And it just wasn't going anywhere. It just wasn't right for me. We, we just weren't a good match because he was a very stagnant person. Sweet guy, never argued. Like we never had any problems, but... He just was a stagnant person. He wasn't on my like level of drive. And, um, and so that ended. And after that, I was like super depressed for like two or three weeks. And then in that time, I said, okay, let me write down. I might've like read a book, like The Secret or something like that, you know. But I started, I wrote, I made this list of exactly what I wanted in a man. Mm-hmm. And I started writing down like every stupid little thing from the looks and like the hobbies and beliefs and everything else. And that was, um, it was cool because it was like, then after I did that, like a week or two or three later, here pops Andres into my life. And so wow. it was amazing. And he just embodied <laughs> like, you know, pretty much all of those things. So Um, and probably that's what made me feel like such a deep connection because I'd gone through that exercise and then I was like, oh my gosh, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) this guy's all these things. (laughs) Wow. Um, so yeah, it was cool. It's been amazing. It's been an incredible journey and, you know, all of the growth, you know, good or bad pain or, or joy, I would not want to have experienced with anybody else. I could say that much. Mm Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, there's so much else we can go into, <laughs> but I, I really know, we could talk for hours, girl. We could, we could just <laughs> keep going on. I mean, we've barely even touched on your philosophies around feminine leadership, but I think I'll leave that for the, another episode with you because that could fill mm-hmm. up an entire hour on its own. I mean, you're just so insightful with those things. Um, how can people? find you, connect with you, follow you? Um, and what are you working on right now that you might be able to offer to people if they're interested in some of the, uh, some of the things you've brought up today? So, um, you know, how we met when we were doing the Business Accelerator, um, it was during that time that I kind of came up with this feminine strong philosophy, which was like kind of breaking down my journey of rediscovery and and integration into like a step-by-step process and packaging it as like a course. And um, I went through that whole thing and it was really great. But I, it, ultimately, I felt like it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be and what I wanted to be doing. Um, and so what that has kind of culminated into 
now is, is that I'm focusing more attention onto the outward expressive side. And so I think that, you know, when you delve into these topics, another topic is like, you know, should women be feeling, you know, body image and wearing makeup and fashion and who are we dressing up for and all of this, mm-hmm. you know, all these conversations are around these topics. And I feel like it's get, gotten to the point that it's just as much like, just like feminism, or I mean, femininity, feminism, sorry, has, mm-hmm. has kind of like lost its balance. I think like the whole thing with like body image and all of that has lost a little bit of balance too, where it's almost like, like now I think to myself, oh, should I put on makeup? Am I not being true to other women if I put on makeup? You know, <laughs> like, you know, am I like giving into the patriarchy if I wear makeup? Like, you know, all of so, so I was like, no, we need to like embrace this part of ourselves, like what, whatever it is. And it's not about judging what it should or shouldn't be. It's just being what feels right to you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like one of the things I always wanted to do as a teenager also was go through hair school. My, mm-hmm. I come from a family of barbers and I loved, you know, all of what beauty is. And so over this last year, or these last few years, I've thought a lot about doing that and I've been thinking a lot about how that connects and integrates with feminine strong concepts. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I'm working on right now is I'm, I'm doing beauty school and as I'm doing it, I'm kind of thinking through how I'm going to integrate that with feminine strong so that once I'm done and I can offer services because I really love working with people one-on-one and in person Um, you know, online stuff is great Mm. and you can reach a lot of people that way, but I really love having like a a personal connection with people. And so Mm. I've learned that that's something that I need in whatever I'm doing. And so, um, what I see is not the typical salon experience, but it's more of bringing in the life coaching bringing in, um, you know, so many of these different aspects, the feminine strong, you know, step by step, getting Mm -hmm. from like working through your stuff, um, you know, figuring out what your boundaries are, figuring out what your expressiveness is, what's authentic to you. How do you really want to show up in the world Mm -hmm. versus how you are showing up in the world? Mm -hmm. And and so that's kind of what I'm working, integrating that into the salon experience as like an, as an experience, as opposed to coming in and getting like a service here and there that a person can come in and they can be both getting their, you know, whatever it is they want to get done, done, while also working on their personal growth and development. And at the same time, there's a lot of things that you can, um, a lot of things that, that people have issues with in beauty, like skin and hair and nails and stuff. Um, those are all just symptoms of underlying health issues. Mm-hmm. They're oftentimes modifiable lifestyle things. You know, so it kind of all goes together. Mm-hmm. The health, the, the life coaching and the personal development work and the beauty aspect to be able to, you know, really like take a person through this whole process that's like a, a next level process. Mm-hmm. integrating the whole thing together. So that's really what I'm working on. Um, people can follow me on Instagram at 
either feminine underscore strong or um, at soul underscore expressions underscore beauty. Um, soul expressions is really just going to be like all of the photos of the work I'm doing in beauty school. Um, feminine strong is kind of a mix of everything. My life, the beauty school stuff, but also the feminine strong stuff. Um, and whatever else is in between trips we're taking, um, the coffee farm, as you know, we have a coffee farm in Hawaii, you know, mm -hmm. all these different things that we're doing. And then on Facebook, I also have, um, soul expressions, uh, little Facebook page that I'm working on there as well. So those are primarily where people can find me, uh, if they want to reach out or, you know, follow the journey. That's sweet. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's been a ton of fun already. I'm super stoked on it. That's awesome. I'm so happy for you. I mean, I just see you glowing as you talk about it. It's amazing. Um, I love the idea of integrating because let's, let's face it, you know, we go get our hair done and it's like, it's like we're talking to a therapist anyway, half the time. So why not actually have the life coaching built into that, have the entire experience, deal with the health issues, like you said. I mean, you know, you're totally talking my language because, you know, I, I say with the fitness and nutrition work I do, you know, it's, it's it's not about what you look like. It's important for for health, for your life, for everything. The work I do with busy moms, we need fitness and health in order to stay sane and deal with the demands of everyday life. But looking mm -hmm. great in a bikini is kind of a nice side effect, <laughs> you know. And I feel like yeah, the stuff on the outside comes when you're more empowered than you, you know, in our culture, we use outward appearance as an artistic expression of who we feel we are inside. And we view other people's outward appearance as an expression of their making a statement about who they are. That's just sort of a cultural thing that we do. And so bridging those together, I think is really genius. And, you know, you, you got to open one in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm down because I'm telling you, girl, I miss Manhattan. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah definitely. Definitely. I will, I will be there all the time. But anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for being on Badass Moms. It's been an absolute pleasure, Mary. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I hope I didn't run you too long. It's been a long episode. <laughs> no, it's been perfect. Everything flowed perfectly, exactly as it was meant to. The time is not the most important consideration here. <laughs> and for those of you listening, definitely follow Mary, check her out. We, all the links she mentioned and social media will be in the show notes. And don't forget that if you are a super busy mommy, and you're interested in helping me test out my home workout program, helping me work out the kings, and being one of those awesome case studies I use when it officially launches, please shoot me a message at Super Busy Mommy Coach on Facebook or at Super Busy Mommy Coach on Instagram. Let me know that you want to get into the test group. I'm only taking five moms. So I'll message you back personally, make sure it's a good fit. And you're going to get a huge discount, the lowest price this will ever be offered. So get in touch with me. I look forward to connecting with you all. Uh, thank you once again to the Holistic Therapies Directory for producing Badass Moms. And we'll see you on the next episode. You've been listening to Badass Moms. Join us again and get your badass on.